Welcome back, everyone. You are listening to Joygasm, the video game and movie podcast. I'm Russ, Xbox Live Toaster 360. He is Steve, Xbox Live Stimage. And there is plenty of soul in episode 207 today, January 7th. 2021. We're going to catch up with each other briefly before going into our topic of the day, which is the Soul Movie Review, which you can fast forward to if you look at the timestamps located in your podcast provider detailed section below. Steve, it's always a pleasure to see you. Good, sir. Thank you, Russ. How has your week been? My week has been busy. It has actually gone by very quickly. And I am happy to tell you, Steve, I beat Cyberpunk 2077. You told me. I am telling all the rest of our folks out in the world of worlds. Friendly friends. I put 250 hours Mm. into that single playthrough, Steve. That single playthrough. Ah, if you say those S's, it really just resonates in my ears. I hope it would. What are those? I I forgot what the name of those things are that, like, um, are they called teeth? I don't know what they're called, but like, it's like that that musical instrument thing that like you can uh, measure vibrations. Like you go, and it's like a oh, fork kind of yeah, thing. That, that's just, I think it's just called like a sound fork. A sound fork? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Is that how your ears feel, Steve? A little bit, yes. <laughs> you, you, you can get those sound forks in like like A or like you know, C yeah. or something. Yeah. They are strangely hypnotic, I must say. Not only with, they, with, with the sound that they make, but also just there, there's a certain appeal about them. I don't know why. I was like, you, you find yourself wanting to just hit them over and over and over again and, and watch them vibrate and listen to the sound they make. I can't say I uh, can agree with that, Russ. That's because you have no soul, Steve. <laughs> but I do know an old friend of mine I don't talk to anymore. An ex-friend, Steve? <laughs> You had a falling out with Thirsty? Yeah, I'd have a falling out just like uh, out of Called sight. Called you a nincompoops, Thirsty? More like out of sight, out of mind. Out of sight. <laughs> that doesn't sound like a very good friend there, Steve. <laughs> Anyhow. Not he, even um, a fair weather friend, if I do say so myself. Uh, not even like remotely close. So he was in a choir. A choir? A choir. Not as in like A-Q-U-I-R-E, but A-C-H-O-I-R. A choir. So he he wasn't acquired. <laughs> he was in a choir. <laughs> yeah. I think we've cleared that up. Anyway, so his choir mates. Choir so, mates. You mean his fellow singers? Right. They would like have forks and they would like bang them so that they would know what note to sing. Like, okay, this is how I'm supposed to sound like. And so they'll like take it out of their pocket, like give it like a, their noggin a good whack with like, ding, ha. Okay, got it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's perfect, Johnny. <laughs> you can really hit that note. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, really hit it. <laughs> Sorry, that's going to hit in the nuts. That's what it was. Uh, I'm, back. Oh. I'm back to baritone again. <laughs> Oh, gosh. Went from a baritone to soprano. Ah, speaking of which, Russ. No, I haven't been watching it, Steve. Ah, you're terrible. I know. So with the HBO Max, because you still have my season one. Do I? I thought I gave him back No, to you. you did not give anything back. <laughs> there must have been a fly in here. Anyway, so we... 
my wife and I started watching season one. Season Uno. We're on episode number six. Mm. And again, it is my fourth time watching season one. I thought you were going to say, it's my fourth time watching them eat lasagna um, while breathing unnecessarily heavily. It's more like ZD. Oh, ZD's the one who, who? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's more like the different different types of pasta. I see. I see where you're going here with this. Uh, Russ, you got to watch the show. I agree, Steve. You I just agree. have to sit down and watch it. Yeah, my DVDs of the first season are a bit messed up. They're a bit they're a, they're a bit functified. But you have to watch. This is like the show that has opened the cable TV doors, my, the, the gates to all good shows. I will have you know, Steve. My dead skin cells are permeating on your DVDs. We're getting to know each other real well. Man, it, 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 is, it is written so well. I I'm agree. I'm telling you. I've, the, the, the episodes I have seen, Steve, I am inclined to agree. Man, it's good. It's on the giant heap of to play slash watch. Best Buy, not, not endorsed by Best Buy. B squared. Um, it's hip to B squared. <laughs> hip to B squared. They were selling a whole Blu-ray case of the entire show. One a blue point. case? No, no, like, like a whole case, like a case, a collector's to it, like, edition? A, like a collector's edition of all the Blu-ray discs. A. So you didn't have to get like the ones that I, I mean. I have the DVDs, and so I each one is about the size of a good hardback book. But you can get them in the whole case with the Blu-ray discs, and it's only like the size of one of the seasons. So what you're saying is, is that any one of those could actually be used as a bookend. Yes. It's a bookend for itself. Right. It can stand on its own. It's all about space, Russ. if If I end up somehow getting that, last time I checked, didn't have any. If I end up getting that, I'm just depositing all my DVDs over here. That's nice. Anyway, back to <laughs> Cyberpunk 2077. <laughs> Enough of that nonsense. Hey, 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 hey. Uh, what are you doing over here? <laughs> I must say, Steve, Cyberpunk 2077 on PC was a raucously good time. You're a good kid. Dare yeah. I say great time. I love you. <laughs> You're a good kid. I don't think we had any <laughs> Italian mobsters in Cyberpunk that I can think of. No, no representation there, Steve. Right. But no, I, I actually um, was very pleased with the ending I got. I did a little bit of research after I had beaten the game, and it turns out that there are really only like two positive endings out of the six endings that exist. Ah. The, re- the other ones kind of go down this, uh, this list of... Debbie Downer. Well, they're not like, it doesn't go from like the two to the immediately Debbie Downer, but like I think that there are uh, kind of a range... Ah. A spectrum, if you will, Steve. Mm. It's kind of like uh, that day of the week. Like, it could be a Monday or it could be a Friday. Hey, there you go. Exactly. Wonder which one of them's the hump day. Speaking of which, Russ, I woke up on Wednesday morning. I thought it was Friday. Really? I did. I'm like, ah, oh, the week is over. It's it's Friday. And then it dawned on me. I have a meeting this morning. And I thought, that means it's Wednesday. <laughs> That means I have two more days left in the week. I thought it was the end. You were wrong. At least you didn't think it was Friday when it was a Monday. 
That would have been even more brutal. <laughs> that would have been a oh, whole kind of man. like special uh, situation there for you. Wake a up, special kind of special. Wake up from the weekend, you're like, oh, the weekend's here again after today. That's so fantastic. <laughs> hey guys, welcome back to work. Thought it was Friday. Can you imagine the morale though? Like, imagine if you only had one work day a week. Where like you came in, like your Monday was also your Friday. You're like, oh, I have to go back to work. Hey, it's the weekend again, sweet. Man, <laughs> I don't even think I'd take lunch that day. I'd just be like, let's just work 12 hours. I'm off tomorrow yeah. and the rest of the week. Exactly. Well, I got to say, I have been very, very pleased with a lot of Cyberpunk. It is by no means a perfect game. I do have a wish list that I'm putting together of things that were not in the game, things that are broken in the game, so on and so forth. But having said that, you've heard me talk quite a bit on several occasions about my experiences with the game. I actually started to play a brand new life path with a new character on the Xbox Series X. So now I'm starting to see like kind of what the console experience is like. And so it's been great because I had created a character on the Xbox that takes on the nomad life path. Mm. The PC version, if you recall, I, I chose the street kid. That's right. And so it's going to be interesting to see. And, and actually, the on the PC, I had a male V. On the Xbox, I have chosen a female V. So I have already noticed, actually a noticeable shift in terms of the uh, dialogue engagement. Yeah, that's what they tell you in the beginning of the game. Yep, yep, which is really cool. Uh, um, and I won't spoil it for you, but I have been intentionally making some different decisions on different main quests mm -hmm. that have already totally changed from my first playthrough, which is awesome. Like, it's not limited to just, oh, here are some different dialogue trees you can choose from. If you make certain decisions during certain main storyline quests, it is crazy, like, how different everything shifts and changes up and everything, which makes me very happy because I'm like, okay, this is really fun. And I hope that it's the same when I, when I go through, like, the corpo life path as well. Having said that, Steve, what's new with you? Well, I had downloaded towards actually Christmas. We didn't actually start playing it, but I downloaded. It was only like 14 bucks. It was the uh, Crash Bandicoot Nitro Racer. For your wife, isn't it? It was for my wife. Mm -hmm. We don't have a Switch, so I can't get her Mario Kart. So it's the next best thing, Rush. Mm -hmm. And I got to say, it's uh, not bad. There's Team Sonic Racing too, Steve. Yeah, that one was okay. You can get it on Xbox. Yeah, it was okay. Crash Bandicoot, though, Russ. The uh, level design is absolutely beautiful. Really? And the levels are, they have a ton of variety. Yes, I wish you do go a little bit faster. I wish the, the little go-kart kind of stuff, I wish they had a little bit more sound variety. But as far as the, uh, as, as the, 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 the track design, zzz, are concerned, plural, mm. they're beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. I mean, Crash Bandicoot as a platform game was actually pretty gorgeous. I mean, they, they did You're have a, gorgeous, Steve. a ton of colors. I know. <laughs> a ton of color in the game. Even though I sucked at playing the game, it, it was it was pretty to look at. Mm -hmm. But you know, if you put all of that into a fun little racer, uh -huh. it, it's a blast. Well, we're, we're having a great time with it. I'm glad you found a kart racing game that you and the wife can enjoy, Steve. 
It is kind of. I'm, I'm very happy for it's you. It's kind of difficult, though, Brad. I will say. That. Well, yeah, you don't want it to be skill. a pushover. You don't want it to be easy and be done with it in an hour. I mean, there's there is a, a skill to actually like working up your boost and stuff. I mean, we haven't really figured that out yet, but well, yeah, there's boosts in the other games uh, as well, there, Steve. Oh boy, part of the kart racing experience. Yeah, to give you an idea, like Mario Kart, for example. Oh, really? You're going around and hear a pin turn. You realize. I can't just turn the way I want to normally turn. Mm. So you got to hold down the old right trigger <laughs> as you make the turn and time it just right because then you'll start to do a little bit of the old power slide around that there turn. And if you do it right without bumping into anything, it gives you a little uh, bonus boost at the end there. A little what? payoff for oh, your troubles. I like that in real life. Indeed. Well, you are a uh, bandicoot, mm. which is an animal wearing gloves and shorts. As you are driving in a go-kart. Right. I'll let you be the judge. Um, with a little, like, like forest spirit around you. Indeed. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> that was pretty good. <laughs> that sounded just like it. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, so we, of course, watched Soul, and I have been, I'm, I'm nearly done with Gozoshima. I'll believe it when I see it. Nearly done. Ne- I won't bore you. Oh, I got a question for you. Uh-huh. I'm probably not going to be able to answer it to you because it's been so long. <laughs> You'll be able to answer this. <laughs> so I've been collecting these banners, right? These, uh, I recall the banners, yeah, yes. Banners. And of course, if you get if you get a certain number of them, you not get Not to it. be confused with Bruce Banner. Continue. Imagine if you had to conti- if you had to collect like a bunch of Bruce banners. I can't imagine that, that. would just be odd. That would be, be like, odd. This is this is not. I'm, not, I'm just not feeling it. So if you collect enough of them, you're supposed to get like these new saddles and stuff for your horse. Right. So on the third act, I've collected enough banners for like my third saddle or my fourth saddle or something. And so I went back to get it. But because I'm on the The out- guy died because you took too long to beat the game? <laughs> yeah, I understand. I wonder if he left it for me somewhere. That was so funny. You go back to the guy who collects the banners and you see me sprawled out as dead. You're just like, it took would- him 500 years. That wouldn't be funny, Russ. It would be funny for you, though. Would not. Because you wouldn't be able to collect all your goodies. So... I can't get my last saddle. It wouldn't. It won't let me. I can go back to where he is, and then he gives it to me, and then it, it blinks like, oh, yeah, here it goes. And I'm like, and I try to go back to the options menu just to select it and put it on my horse, and I can't do it, Russ. So my question is, were you able to do that? Or did you have to wait until the end? I don't remember. Thank uh, you for answering my question. And actually, you know what? I don't think I collected all the banners. <gasps> I think I collected quite a few of them. <gasps> I collected most of them, but I don't think I collected all of them. But that's okay because I was already satisfied with the uh, horse saddle. And right, the- but you get a new horse in the third act because your horse dies. Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I know. It has not been that long. What are you talking about? Yeah. 
Yeah. There are multiple. I mean, why, why does it matter if you get every horse saddle in the game? Because the horse that you get later on in the third act is a basic horse with a basic equipment. I want everything I've been collecting. Steve, what? You need to just beat the game. I had a question. I was just curious. Don't worry about it, Steve. Just don't worry about it. You focus on beating the game and all your questions will be answered. You know, George. Didn't you tell me at one point? Did you or did we good? Didn't you tell me at one point that you were supposed to get the uh the incendiary flame? Uh-huh. And that you didn't light the guy's fire to yeah. warm him up? Yeah. You did or you did not? Did did I get it? Yeah. Hmm. Did you get it, Russ? I don't remember if I did. I want to say I did because it all of, I remember maxing out all of the different skills. Actually, yep, I did. I did get it. <laughs> but I didn't really use it all that much. Uh, I ended up gravitating more towards yeah. some of the other abilities. That's the thing, too. I, I have all the abilities, and I still have one skill point left. Really? Yeah. Explain that one, Russ. I don't, Riddle I, me this. I, I don't. I don't work for Sucker Punch Studios, Steve. I have no idea. I'd have to take a look at it myself. Punch me in the face. <laughs> Sucker punch me in the nuts. Well, uh, so that's where I'm at. Yeah, I mean, I can tell my my character is not as comfortable on this basic saddle as he would be on the saddle he used to have. You are quite the princess in the piece, Steve. I am, but. I am slicing and dicing a few of uh, these baddies, Russ. And it is good. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad you have fulfillment in taking on the whore. You know, I'm I'm in the armor. I'm in the ghost armor, Russ. The last armor that... Not the goblin armor, Steve? No. Not the orc armor. Not the ghoulie armor, Steve? No. Not that one. Not the witch armor, Steve? Not the clockwork armor, either. Not the werewolf armor, Steve? Um... The but specter I, armor, but I have the mask, the white mask of like the like the grimace and like that long nose that kind of points oh, down. I know, I I wore that quite a bit. Gives me like the ghost appearance, you know. Mm, I know. <laughs> <gasps> what about you, Russ? I have fond memories of that, Steve. So you already told us about cyberpunk. What else have you done? Well, I've been getting farther with my daughter in Link's Awakening. We wow. have discovered the entire map. Mm. And in this particular game, I can't remember if I told you this or not, Steve, but in the game, you are collecting musical instruments. And we have collected seven out of the eight instruments. We are on a mission to collect the final instrument itself. We are probably what I uh, am led to believe to be the final dungeon. And it is a doozy. A lot, you, a lot of brain teasers in there. Have you collected the hurdy-gurdy? I have no idea, Steve. Have you collected the banjo? Uh, we are wondering if actually the instrument that we are going to get this time will be some sort of guitar type of instrument. Pan flute, Russ, have you got that one? Uh, in a manner of speaking, there is something like that, yeah. Mm. All right. There's a xylophone. Tambourine? Uh, maybe. I can't remember. <laughs> I actually don't recall all the different instruments in there. It's It's been a journey, mm. a, I must say. It's been a journey. But it, man, it's a fun game. Mm, really me. well done. Good. been playing more Animal Crossing as well, so that's good. Great. Other than that, though, I don't think really there's a whole lot going on with me. Of course, I watch Soul as well. That's a given. We we played Overwatch on uh, Wednesday night stream at 9.30 yeah, p.m. Central Time. That cheered me up. 
that was actually a fun time. I think we we won about what sixty percent of the time. Sixty five. Sixty five. A solid sixty five. Yeah. But yeah, Cyberpunk has been the 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 main focus for uh, your streams, dude. I figured. Disney and Pixar Soul, streaming on Disney Plus, December 25th. Music is all I think about. From the moment I wake up in the morning to the moment I fall asleep at night. I was born to play. It's my reason for living. December 25th. So our topic of the day is the Soul Movie Review. We're going to be giving our spoiler-free high-level impressions of the film before taking the spoiler elevator down below and going into spoiler territory, talking in detail about what we thought of this movie. If you have not seen the movie at that point, you may want to hold off, or if you don't care, then you can just keep on listening. But we will remind you when we get there. As for the spoiler-free high-level thoughts, uh, Steve. Yeah. I'd like to hear what you thought. What what, did you think of Soul? Well, I thought it was slow-moving. By the way, congratulations on getting Disney Plus, Steve. I'm proud of you. Yeah, we'll see how long that lasts. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Lump of coal in your stocking. Oh, boy. I can use that coal. You light it on fire, keep you warm. Anyhow, 
So I thought I, it was kind of slow moving, Russ. Um, it's not a bad movie at all. It's not even close to being a bad movie, but it's not. I would. I, it's not close to being one of Pixar's best either. Um, I would say that the that the story is original. Um, that it definitely takes on a different flair of a similar message. I thought Jamie Foxx did a great job voice acting. Uh, Joe, I believe his name was. Yeah, you were correct. I didn't know it was even Jamie Foxx until the end. And I'm like, that didn't sound remotely close like Jamie Foxx. So cool. Yeah, I thought that was cool. Um, no, you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> He's telling me I'm wrong. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I, I mean, it didn't. It, so it didn't feel like a kids movie, which is kind of Pixar's thing. And the kid Pixar doesn't really make kids movies. They make family movies, but it almost didn't really feel like a family movie either. I mean, it felt like if you watched it with your kid, the kid would have no clue really what's going on. They'd just kind of be okay with watching it. It almost be like you would watch it with your teenager or something like your older kid in a way. Uh, because, because like your older kid is probably figuring out like what they're going to do with their life or they're kind of wondering, okay, you know, my parents do this for a living. They're passionate about that. Uh, what am I passionate about? What do I want to do? They're kind of, you know, just kind of meandering a little bit through life. Like we all do when we're teenagers. I, I, that's how I kind of felt. Hmm. Um, but at the end, I just didn't really feel that the story was like as rich as say Coco. For example, I still have not seen that. I need to. Watch I know. It. <laughs> Jeez, <laughs> I have it. By the way, actually, I have it in 4K. I have, I have it in fork, and I haven't watched it because, um, well, I got a 4K player. I was kind of waiting to get the Xbox Series <laughs> to watch it again. Uh, same with Deadpool. <laughs> You ain't getting off topic. It's amazing how similar those those two films are. <laughs> Deadpool and Coco. <laughs> yeah. yeah, broaden your horizons a bit, you know? <laughs> oh, gosh. Anyway. Um. <laughs> You're like all over the map on this episode. Man, I'm glad it's Friday. It's been a long week. It's been a good week, but it's been a long week. <clears throat> it's Thursday, Steve. Thursday, the 7th. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> so anyway. So what did you think of the movie? I uh, f- I, I will say uh, I, I, my um, reaction to it is similar to yours. I do think that the um, the voice cast actually was very unique for this. Mm. There, there were several voices that I had no... like When I looked it up, I had no idea they were who they were. And, um, and we'll get into that when we get into the spoiler version of uh, the program. But... I'm with you. I think that, um, like Jamie Foxx, for instance, I was totally surprised. I, I was thinking that's Jamie Foxx. I had no idea, and that's a testament uh, to his talent. I, I thought the first half of the movie was just okay, but I love the second half, which is interesting because that typically is not the case when it comes to Pixar films for me. And I don't want to give any spoilers at this point, so I'll, I'll just leave it there. But I love the theme of what truly matters in life. That That is this, this reoccurring thing that, that goes on, and they explore that to a certain extent. And I think that's cool because we haven't really seen Pixar do a film that, that, go, that kind of does a deep dive in their own little charming way. I think that... It was cool how, like, 
And again, I'm trying to like make it so that like people understand what the movie's about. The film itself, it explores the idea of like the struggle between pursuit of passion versus appreciating life day by day. That's kind of the, the, the overarching theme within the film. And I think it's, it, it actually does resonate with someone like myself. I can identify with that. Um, I think it's interesting how you thought of, of how teenagers would get a kick out of this. I actually got a kick out of it being in my, my early forties. And actually the main character, Joe was also in his forties, which is interesting. Um, because in terms of, of where the character was at in life, I can definitely see what they were trying to tell in terms of all the different things, which we'll get into in, uh, in just a moment here. I thought the music was great, you know, and I honestly, I expected that just because of kind of the play on the, on the, the name of the title, you know, the it's called soul. It, it deals with this, this character who um, is, is believed to, to have died or, or is in the, the, the transition of dying and at the same time, he's a jazz pianist who um, is into to um, not only jazz, but just, you know, soul music. Well, what it's like to, to get into all of that, uh, which is, you know, it, it is a bit different from jazz, but um, or pouring your heart and soul. There you go. Into your passion. Exactly. Huh? I like what you did there, Steve. Thank you. So anyway, when it came to all of that, I, for one, connected. That's where I began to connect with the film. And I gotta say, I think when, when it comes to watching it, um, it, it was fun. You know, it, it was one of those movies that, um, I'll probably watch here and there. And, um, I could, I could see myself recommending it to, to different folks. So with that said, Steve, step with me into the spoiler elevator. You know, uh, I recall just now, Steve, that you really don't know how to play any musical instrument, do you? I play the wicked air guitar. I can play. <laughs> I Actually, I can play some very precise air drums. I, yeah. I can bang on the Tupperware like you wouldn't believe. I believe you actually would be amazing at the play school xylophone with all the rainbow bars on there. Oh, you know I would. And the yellow little stick. That's t- You know what? That thing was always crazy to me how, like, you had that piece of rope that was attached to the yellow drumstick. that's not giving me enough room. I want to bang on these Well, and so as a kid, and even now as a parent, it's like it's actually somewhat, I don't know, it's it's fun to just drag the xylophone because the xylophone has wheels on it, too. Mm. And it's fun to be able to just drag that around and kind of um, not not abuse it, but just kind of be a little rough with it because you know for a fact that, that the rope will never give up the ghost. It's and, very interesting. And the stick is so lightweight, it's never going to break. By the way, you can play Twinkle Twinkle Little Star, I believe, on that. I'm sure play you school can. Play school. I'm sure you can. I'm sure it sounds like you're dialing buttons on a on a phone, but you can play it. I tell you what's really bad is when one of the bars or, or even the xylophone itself gets warped or bent a little mm. bit. Suddenly those bars just... Uh, they sound off key, Steve. Yeah, oh, that doesn't sound like a G. It's no fun to play anymore. <laughs> it looks so happy, though. We have now reached the spoiler floor. 
in which case we are going to go into spoiler territory. Once again, as a reminder, if you haven't seen the film and you don't want to hear spoilers, we suggest you pause us and go watch the film before continuing. Otherwise, if you don't care, then just resume where we are right now. I want to talk about the cast. So we mentioned Jamie Foxx. So Tina Fey was 22. Right. And again, it didn't sound like her at all. I'm like, who is this? Yeah, I recognize that voice from somewhere, though. My favorite character, actually, in the whole movie, though, was Moonwind. Yeah, right. And that was voiced by Graham Norton, who's that talk show host over in the UK. Yeah. And I thought he did a great job. Again, it didn't sound like him at all. I'm like, who is this? But I absolutely love the character, love the personality. Uh, his his uh, his little peace loving ship was awesome, and uh, I thought his <laughs> the idea of, of uh, one of those like kind of uh, hippie types that that are dancing with a sign in their hands on the street corner, you know, but yet is someone who is in touch with kind of like the in between world of life and death. I, I thought that was pretty original. I thought that was cool. Something you would find probably in Emeryville. Uh, you know, <laughs> well, Berkeley. <laughs> yeah, Berkeley. Quest Love, who is the drummer, I believe, of the Jimmy Fallon Tonight Show. He was the voice of Curly, who is also the drummer in the movie. Ah. And again, no idea until I looked it up. I'm like, what? And yeah. Well, the- you wouldn't really. I mean, at Quest Love speaks every once in a great while in the from you know, the Fallon show. He didn't speak all that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say everyone would be like, Oh, Hey, he does. Yeah. He, he has spoken here and there at times briefly on, on the tonight show. But when he does, it's, it's not at all how the character in the movie sounds. I mean, it it is a completely different sounding person in the, 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 the movie, which I think is once again, I mean, that, that was like an unknown talent to me that Questlove had. And it's like, my goodness, this is great. Like, this is such a departure from what I have witnessed on The Tonight Show. <laughs> of course. But I did think it was cool how, like, the character in the movie was, was a drummer as well. I thought that was a nice little tie-in. Angela Bassett. Ah, Angela. Played the professional saxophone player of uh, Dorothea. Yes. Yeah. And uh, I... As well, I think you are too. We are. We have always been really big Angela Bassett fans. Yeah, and, she's uh, great on everything yeah. that she does. It's like just oh, she 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 rocks. <laughs> she jazzes. <laughs> she jazz. <laughs> she totally jazzes. <laughs> Jazzercises. I don't even know what jazzercise is. I can tell you. I barely know what exercise is. What's jazzercise? Let me think about it for a second. Jazzercise was like a, um, so back in the day when you had a lot of like these workout videos, you could actually turn on the cable. They'd be like, okay, one, two, you're looking great. Three, four, step it up now. There was a Jazzercise version of that to like jazz music and certain like other steps. Well, so you had like Kenny G playing and you you like exercise to it or something? I don't know if it was Kenny G, but something like that. Probably a little bit higher tempo than just Kenny G. Oh, but uh, exercise, jazzercise. You see when that came from? I'm starting to get a picture of that, yeah. All right, good. Moving over to plot. Joe is a middle school band teacher whose life hasn't quite gone the way he expected. And I think that's a that's a wonderful starting point in terms of, of um, the viewer being able to identify with his character. His true passion is jazz, and he's good at it. 
Uh, but when he travels to another realm to help someone find their passion, he soon discovers what it means to have soul. <laughs> so it's it's a it's a nice jumping off point in terms of how they get this, this whole plot set up because you know, at the very beginning, which actually one of my favorite parts of the movie is when you see the Disney logo, right? And you hear like just the quintessential horrid sounding middle school band that is trying to play the, the Disney logo. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and honestly, I thought that was kind of gutsy of Disney to allow that because yeah. I mean, they really butchered the, the, the logo theme song for Disney, but hats off to them because I was like, yes, that was, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's well played. Disney's got to have a sense of humor. I mean, if they they would have been like, no, 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 we're not going to let that happen. That's not going to fly. Well, typically, I mean, when when you have that, they've been pretty predictable in terms of like when they're showing off the, the, the magic kingdom animation. It's like, they don't really deviate too much from that. Especially like if you were to compare like say 20th century Fox or Warner Brothers, some of these other movie studios, they tend to be a little more lenient in terms of what the the creators can do with it. So anyway, I just thought that was great. And we are immediately introduced to him being in the classroom where he's clearly passionate about music, specifically jazz. You see how he is engaging with the students. You have all kinds of different personalities that teachers have to deal with. And I thought it was cool because you, you know, at one point there is that one student with, I think it was a trombone yeah, who began to really get into the, the song they were playing and feeling it. And you, and I love seeing the expression on his face light up as he's realizing what's occurring in real time with this student. Moving on from that, he, he realizes, um, that the, I guess it's the school principals at the, at the door. He goes to um, see what, what she needs. And he comes to find out that they have offered him a permanent full-time position at the school, but you can tell that he's conflicted and he's, he's feigning excitement, but he, but you could tell something is amiss. He he's, he's not being genuine about it. And we come to find out that, that being a jazz music school teacher really is not what he's after that he's been in pursuit of this other dream of his, which is to be a professional jazz musician. So anyway, he gets his big break. You know, he has his, one of his older students curly call him up and say how they need uh, him to come and fill in for someone who was, who wasn't there for his practice and whatnot. He, he essentially gets his big break. He gets very excited because yes, he thinks he's finally be able to make it. And as a result, he, he's not paying attention. And this is another scene that I thought was, was really telling and great is you see him absolutely obsessing over his new gig and being completely oblivious to all these near death experiences that are going on. And they do it very comically. We're like, you know, he's, he's walking and, um, like a whole, ton of bricks uh, that were being uh, lifted in construction, like fall right behind him or, or he's walking through traffic, not paying attention to the oncoming traffic and just out of happenstance is able to avoid getting hit. 
same kind of thing where he's walking down the sidewalk and there's like a hundred banana peels all over the place. And he miraculously is able to not slip on a single one, you know, and they're just through that funny visual storytelling. They are demonstrating what it's like when someone gets so focused on what it is that they're pursuing that their, 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 their pursuit of, of their passion that things begin to suffer around them as a result because they're not paying attention to the minute by minute life. Not that they have to pay attention from, uh, you know, to prevent themselves from getting hurt or killed, but they were just taking it to that extreme. We see he falls into a, a manhole cover and, um, and then awakens, um, in his soul state. So with that whole exposition taking place, did you did you have any thoughts on on how they they introduced us to this world? Um, I mean, I thought it was cute. I I just didn't know where they were going to go with the with the movie. I, I I figured. I mean, you can watch the preview and see where they're going to go. But I kind of wanted to be at that point. I was kind of hoping that I would be a little bit more entertained because I was watching what was happening. I'm like, okay, this is kind of neat. And then he dies and gets to purgatory <laughs> basically well, it's not even really purgatory it's like they they ended up it, it they they i'm trying to figure out how to how to dissect this essentially like he wasn't in heaven and he wasn't in hell if you recall he asked he's like is this heaven and i say no and they said is this h-e double hockey sticks all the kids are like hell 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 and they're like no essentially it was like they had theorized this kind of in-between state that is night, you know, neither heaven nor hell. Well, it's like, it's like people like saying, don't go towards the light, go away from the light, you yeah. know? And all you see is these people kind of just going towards this big light. Right. And so he's trying to get away from the light and figure out what's happening. And he doesn't expect to die. Doesn't want to die. Wants to go back. And he ends up, I mean, it was kind of like, like this in-between state. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so, which makes sense because they call the, the, where the big light is the great beyond the great beyond and where the, he ended up going where all the, the new souls were, was called the great before. Right. Makes sense. So I, I don't know. I, 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 I was trying to, I was hoping that would be a bit more entertained. I mean, yeah, it was, it was cute. Well, well, let's back it up to like what when we get introduced to Joe. What did you think of Joe as a character? No, uh, yeah, I like Joe. You know, he was a likable guy. Yeah. Um, I mean, he was like the the teacher you kind of want. I mean, I I never took band. Yeah. So I wouldn't even know. But I mean, you want as a kid in school, whatever the class is, band or whatever, you kind of want your teacher to be into what they're teaching you. Sure. Because uh, you can share that passion in a sense. Yeah. And so, I mean, those scenes were were, were definitely cool. And for him to be that humble guy and, you know, go into this mega, you know, jazz stars stage and, and play with her and get into the zone and everything. And she's just kind of like, yeah, okay, you got it. Okay. Teach sort of thing. I thought, yeah, okay. I'm, 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 I'm with you. I'm with you. I, one of the things I appreciated was how, when he got into the zone, it reminded me of Ratatouille when Ratatouille right. would taste different types of foods right. and how they'd have those splashes of light and color come in that it would, would represent the, the flavors and the tastes. And I think it was, it was a nice 
continuation of that when we saw him get into the zone and, and suddenly he had the, that aura of blues, purples, pinks that were coming around. And I think it helped to uh, push the idea. Yeah, I, I, I but I, I did think of that was at Ratatouille also, but it didn't seem original in that sense. Mm-hmm. It just seemed like, yeah, that's what I saw in Ratatouille. This doesn't seem you know brand new. Mm-hmm. I do think that when he was in The Great Before, it is more of an abstract way of exploring some of the the human psyche almost. Um, I know that they were they were interpreting it with like, oh, here are all the souls. They're going to be making their way to Earth. Like they 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 did take it one step further where they didn't want to. I don't know. It was kind of weird because they it was like they were using it as a means to like almost have a spiritual plane, but it wasn't the spiritual plane. It was like, like this in between state. And like, you could tell they were tiptoeing because they didn't want to offend like different groups. Like, like, you know, if you're Christian or if you believe in reincarnation or, I mean, you, you find yourself in a pretty sticky situation because a lot of people have very strong opinions based on what that kind of thing looks like. So they ended up going for more of this, this, like I said, like kind of a studious um, abstract um, psychological world, which makes sense because all the Jerry characters were like 2D at 3D. They were like these, these. Uh, yeah, I don't even know what to think about that either. Yeah, and again, I think it's hard to to understand because I again, when you think of like 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 Joe's character was not dead. He was in a hospital bed. He was in a coma. So he was in this in-between state, like, right? Like he, it wasn't completely just a, a done deal. And so I almost wonder if Pixar had some sort of desire to manifest this world that is almost like his, his id, you know, how, how like the, uh, people have like egos and ids and I can't remember what the other thing is, but like, essentially there, there's kind of like this part of the brain that is more of a subconscious and you can't control it. It's, it's kind of doing its own thing, but it's, sure, it's inside all, out. <laughs> it's inside out. <laughs> Actually. Okay. That's another component to this whole thing where the first half of the movie, I totally was reminded of the movie inside out, which I liked. I thought that was a really neat approach to um, emotions. And so it's almost a kind of a cousin, if you will, in that regard where now they are exploring more of people's passions. And one of the things that we also discovered is you had some of these like monster looking creatures that exist and they, you know, they refer to them as the, the lost souls, not in terms of them being dead. Cause again, they had like that stockbroker example, but it's, it's more about people who become so focused on their passion that they lose sight of everything else in their life that that's actually important to them and even living moment to moment. And that's why when you saw that scene, you saw them as they rescued uh, that lost soul. And then the soul dropped back into the guy's body. And he's like there on uh, the New York stock exchange. He's like, what am I doing with my life? (laughs) Well, I don't think he was so focused into his passion. I just think that he was uh, like quite the opposite where it was living the everyday in the mundane. And so oh, every sure. day that he was living, he was like, yeah, make a trade, you want to make a trade, you want to make a trade. It's kind of like paper, plastic, paper, plastic. The, yeah, the, there, were, there was definitely that, to, that that was factored in. But the point that they were making, they were using that as an example 
in terms of what was almost like foreshadow for what would happen to the main characters, which is you have people who, you know, most people in life tend to have a passion about something, right? Um, and, a, and having a passion gives, a, gives you purpose. And that's a very healthy thing. I'm passionate about sleeping. I know you are. Moving on. Uh, but when it comes to obsessing over said passion, that's when things get ugly because it's almost like people's existence suddenly gets wrapped up in their passion and they forget about all the other things that are important, such as even like living life um, day to day. Smelling and- the roses. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Pet- so anyway. Petting the wandering, manging dogs at an alleyway. Yeah. <laughs> So Joe meets 22, 22, it's, it's, it's kind of fun because 22's character does not have a spark. In fact, that's what they, that's what they're calling passion in the film is the spark. Yeah. And the 22 gets, um, its name from the fact that it was like the, the 22nd soul that was created. And due to the fact that it can't find its spark, it has been um, refrained from actually going to earth, which is fine by 22 because 22 likes where they are. They don't want to like go. They have no interest in getting a human body or whatever. Uh, despite the fact that now they're, their numbers in the hundreds of billions. I think it was. But it's fun to be able to see. I, I did think one of the cool scenes from 22 was when Joe talks about how 22 sounds like a middle-aged white woman. Yeah, I was like, what in the world? Which I thought the same thing. Like, I'm watching the movie. I'm like, yeah, like when you look at 22, like like it's the the character shape, like the way the character looks, You you it's kind of asexual. There's, there's You can't tell if it's male or female. It's just there, right? And so I thought it was cool that, that he called that out. And then and then 22 was like, oh, well, I just choose this voice. I, I, I could sound like this or I could sound like this. You know, I, I thought that was really fun how like it, he, they were going back and forth. And then at the I, end, 22 was like, I just choose this voice because it annoys people. <laughs> I don't know. That didn't, I don't know. That's not kind of weird with me. I was like, okay, that's the only thing about like race that they brought up in the movie is like, you sound like a middle-aged white woman. Yeah, because it's annoying. Ha ha. I'm like, yeah, okay. It did for me. It didn't bother me, but um, you know the 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 motivation for Joe to get back to Earth is he takes on this mentorship and attempts to try and find Twenty Two Spark, and that was a lot of fun too. Being able to like go through a discovery process as they go into the what do they call it, the Chamber of Everything? Yeah, and so they were trying to find it, and and I thought. Um, there were many poignant scenes th- throughout the film, one of which was when they were in the chamber of everything and they um, placed his hand on the, the scanner and suddenly all of his life events spawn and they're able to walk through the hall and comment on various things that were important to him. I think from a storytelling perspective, that is a really special moment because everybody can relate. Everybody has that. If, if you put your hand on something like that and see all the, the memories that are special to Steve come up, um, it would be fascinating to see which memories of yours you hold in high esteem because they are exclusive to you. And even memories that perhaps I share with you, I may not have those memories that are, that we would be walking through if we were looking at mine. So it's, I don't know. It was, it was a really neat 
exposition of, I don't know, like, like, like whenever people start talking about the topic of, you know, life experiences and what's important to you and like what things throughout life meant a lot and stuff like that. It was, it was an, an immediate visual that everybody could identify with. I thought that the movie had like certain nuggets like that, that were like, Oh cool. Oh, they're delving deep into this one, this one part or this, this one like philosophical, let's, let's think about it for a little sure. bit. And then it would kind of be dry there for a minute. Like it was almost like this EKG monitor of like, okay, here's really cool. Boop. And then it would flatten back down to the next boop. And I mean, the next scene, I guess, would have been that barber scene where 22 is inhabiting the body of Joe and, and, and they're just talking about life and what meant a lot to, to 22. And they were talking about other, but everybody else's life in there. And, and 22 was asking questions and, the people at the barbershop are saying like, yeah, you know, you, you know, you always talk about yourself. You never talk about, you know, you never ask me anything and you know, we've known each other for years. And I thought that was pretty cool. But then I don't know it just had like these really cool moments and then followed by really dull moments in between and then really cool and then really dull. Yeah. I, and I agree. I think that, that there were moments like that because, uh, um, like you said, like, like, like the barbershop scene actually was probably another one of my favorite scenes. Like there, there are a, a, a lot of scenes throughout the movie where I was like, man, I really like that. Ooh, that was deep. Ooh, I really like that. But to your point, yeah, there were um, quite a few other scenes where it was kind of losing me. I, I was starting to not be as engaged with the storytelling or the film. So it was kind of this, this tug of war back and forth that was going on. Focusing on the bar, the, the, the um, I was going to say the bartender, the barber <laughs> shop scene. Um, I uh, was talking to uh, friends of mine who, who are African-American who actually, they, they were very quick to, to go right to that scene. They said that scene was legit. That was like, you could tell they did their homework as to the vibe of that space, the environment. Like when you go to a barbershop like that, um, what, what are the engagements, the social interactions? Um, just again, kind of like the overall experience that is exclusive to that scene. And so I thought that was really, really cool. And, um, I, I think I was reading about how Pixar ended up getting consultants within the Bay area to be able to help them out with like various scenes like that, that, that are very unique to that culture. And so it's like, okay, cool. It, it, it really shines through in the film. The barbershop scene though was really neat because, and, and we are kind of jumping around a little bit here because it didn't happen right after the, the hall right. of, of uh, everything, but we're, we're, we're kind of jumping on, onto places of interest. It was neat because, well, okay, actually, let me pause that and back it up a little bit. I did find it odd that the souls got put into different bodies, like like 22 got into Joe's body and then Joe got into the cat's body. Yeah, I was like, what happened to the cat's soul? Does the cat even have a soul? Well, and, and the thing is, is, is like, I, we've seen the whole body swap thing happen in movies before. This is nothing new. And I thought it was okay at first. Like, I think as a gag it would have been fun to like, just, just be entertained by that for a little bit. But I was surprised as to how long they stayed in that state. And I, I think part of, of the, 
the issue that I have with it is I think in terms of the execution, it probably could have been done differently. That would have made me more on board with the the whole thing. But it was it was just kind of like uh, like it, I see what they were trying to do. I just don't think they fully got there. What, are you on the same page? I am. I, I at first I thought okay, this is going to be funny, and I think to some folks it actually was funny. I think depending on the viewer. They're either going to find this movie to be like that movie fits where I am in life or and, and and along those lines, like that's my sense of humor. I think it's really funny or you're not. Yeah. And I wanted to laugh at it, but and it was it wasn't like it was horrible. I'm not trying to say that, but it just didn't have that humor or keep my attention focused. Uh, I, I didn't know what they were doing. Like, okay, the, he's in the cat now and uh, 22 is in Joe's body and they got to figure it out. Okay, I mean, I'm, okay, I get it. We'll see where it goes. But it, it didn't captivate me and um, I definitely wanted more from that. Yeah. So, and, and they, they continue on going through different things where 22 gets to experience what pizza tastes like, which was funny because then when they were in the great before and they were trying pizza, it had no taste. It instantly just went through their bodies. It was pretty funny uh, watching the pizza slice, but then watching 22 be able to taste it and realize, wow, this is amazing. Or even something as simple as like seeing like one of those neat leaves that come off a tree and that kind of uh, rotates like a helicopter um, blade going down and her, her catching it. Again, very simple moments, but moments that are equally as important and allows Joe to be reminded of, hey, you know, it's 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 fine to, to get into the zone with whatever is your spark or your passion, but don't let it consume you. You have to also take delight in everyday life. And I thought that was very sweet. That was a very sweet uh, memento throughout the, the entire film. I do think what was interesting was how there was kind of a, a contrast between Joe and that of 22. We mentioned this earlier about how 22 didn't know what its spark was. And Joe always thought that he knew what his spark was. And I think that was what was really fascinating too, was you started to get more and more into kind of the conflict of the, of the movie and 22 becomes focused unhealthily to the point on the fact that he doesn't have, he or she doesn't have um, a spark. Like, like it can't figure out what its passion is and that becomes its passion. And that's why it becomes that, that, that lost soul because it becomes fixated on um, what really what Joe kind of laid into 22 over because Joe wanted his body back and, and got kind of nasty toward 22. But I thought it was really interesting how that became its own monster unto itself. And they had to save 22 from that. And, um, and at the same time, Joe had to also come to this moment of epiphany where he realized that, you know what, playing jazz music for, uh, a jazz, like a pro jazz band has always been his dream. And now that he's able to accomplish it and get there, he's realizing he still feels unfulfilled and he's confused about that. He's like, why, why is this? And that, then of course that's when it comes in when he, when he discovers, wow, like this is, it's more about um, taking life and enjoying life day by day and, and, and have passions in life, but also make time for the small things. 
So it's, it, again, it, it wasn't something that was, you know, had a lot of here and there. It wasn't like a toy story in that regard. But there were things that for me, I think it spoke volumes because, and, and I'll, I'll um, use myself as an example here. Um, I have always known what it is that I wanted to do with my life. And there has been that, that passion that exists, but I have been able to identify within myself at times where I do get too focused on my passion and other aspects of my life begin to suffer. And I have to recalibrate myself and I have to, to, to rebalance different areas that have been wilting as a result. And so seeing this movie, I, I really um, zeroed in on that message and I think that that happens a lot with folks. It's almost kind of a, it's a blessing and a curse when you do find your spark, you know what it is that gets you out of bed and, you know, um, look yourself in the mirror and you feel like you're a different kind of person because you know, you've got that passion, but at the same time, that passion could rule you and you could become lost as a result of it because you're, you're just, your whole thought is bent on this one thing. So in, in that regard, I, I found it to be, um, to be touching. Did you have any other thoughts about the plot, Steve? Yeah, no. I mean, I do and I don't. It, it's like I, I wanted the movie to feel finished at the end. And it, it was almost confusing because we get towards the end and Joe Joe wants his body back, and rightly so, because you you feel like, well, hey, that's my body. I've gone on I've trekked this this adventure with you in order to find your spark so that you that I can get back in my body and continue my life. That's what we've been watching for an hour with. And and then 22 is like, no, I'm taking your body and I was like, no, that's kind of adversarial. Like why are you like, okay, I'm not sure I like you anymore. You're trying to like steal my body. <laughs> Give me my body back. And so like this shouldn't even be an argument. And um and so then they, they separate and they go their own ways. And I'm going, what? Then? I don't really understand. So whatever happens, happens. And then Joe decides, okay, I'm doing the selfless act. And okay, you can have my body. And I'm cool with being dead. I'm just cool with it now. I don't need to go back and live anymore. And everything I wanted to do, I'm, I'm like, what? Okay, that doesn't make any sense. Because we just watched the whole entire movie with you trying to get back your body. Now you're just going to give it up. And then the, what was the counselors or something like that? The Jerry's? The Jerry's, Yeah. <laughs> By the way, you know one of the voices for the Jerry's was Wes Studi? Oh, I did not know that. I, I, I'm like, who, I recognize that voice. I had to look IMDb at Wes Studi. Anyway, Native American guy. You recognize him, you saw him, Russ. Okay. So, um, and then the Jerry's are like, all, like, they basically say, we're going to let you go back to Earth and inhabit your own body. We've decided if we're going to let you do that. And I thought, okay, well, so then you guys were being jerks before and not letting them go back and like just do this whole journey. Like if you just told him to be like a certain way um, and, and and he found that way of, of that part that was missing, that void. And then he, and he, then he found, and yeah, okay, here, your reward is to go back to earth. Your reward is to continue your life. Your reward is to come out of your coma. Then there we go. And, and to me, that would have like tied that knot, but it's like that thing like the third act or like the third transition into the fourth, it was a real jumble for me anyway, as a viewer, like what, what, what did I just watch? Cause this doesn't feel tied up to me. And then at the end, we're like, what is Joe's real passion then? Because, okay, yeah, he's, he's taking a minute to smell the roses and to 
look at everything and appreciate life and the detail and the sound and like all the senses. And I was like, well, what are you going to do? Are you going to go back to school? Or are you going to be a teacher? Or are you going to compose your own music? Because, I mean, there was that scene. That was probably my favorite scene is he has all the stuff that, you know, laid out. He put the put, put the notes away or that, that, that sheet music. And he has everything that he basically had a memory with with 22 and he composed this beautiful jazz song. And so you think, okay, well, he, I'm like, what is he, what is he going to do? And at some movies, I think, do that well where they let the viewer just make up what they want to make up. But like, you know, maybe Joan doesn't find his passion. Maybe he's the next, you know, moon dancer or whatever that guy, you know, <laughs> who knows, <laughs> right? Uh, but to me, I just felt kind of unfulfilled at the end. Um, and, and that's kind of how I left. I, I, I do believe, and you, you, know, you said you had your passion. I've been looking for my passion for a long, long time, and I feel like I found it, but it's not necessarily the industry that I'm in, but it's a very big part of the industry that I'm in. And and so, but the message of the movie is 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 kind of the anti-find your passion. The, the message of the movie is, hey, you're gonna you're gonna live your life either way. So enjoy the life. Whether regardless if you find your passion or not, find happiness and find what you what you enjoy. And I think that's a very good message because we've heard all these movies like you got to find out what you you're passionate about. And if you find, if you work with, with what you're passionate, you'll never work a day in your life. And all that. well, what if you never find that or what, you know, years go by and then you're like, you're middle age and then you're like past middle age. And, and like, you feel like you've had an unfulfilled life. Well, and that's what the movie talks about is, oh, is the Joe character. Like, like we see how he feels like he's wasted his life. Right. And I think there are some people out there who feel like that. They're just a kind of a buoy in the ocean, just kind of slosh around sure. with the waves and everything. And, and they feel unfulfilled, but, and you cannot find your passion, but still love the everyday. And sure. So the meaning of the film is definitely there. It's definitely present, but I just felt the, like the, the entertainment aspect of the movie was a bit lacking. Hmm. <laughs> I have an idea. <laughs> um, so moving on to plot, because um, uh, there there is a lot. I mean, there there's a lot of of different types of of uh, fun rabbit holes to go down with with regards to this. But when it, uh, one of the things I definitely wanted to talk about is the cinematography in the movie. I think that movie was beautiful. It had some of the best lighting I have ever seen in a Pixar movie. It was insane, like whether it was the outdoors or it was like uh, in, in a room with, with ambient light coming in, or you had different types of studio light, like when they were on the jazz stage. Um, my eyes were very happy, and, and it, it should come as no surprise because Pixar constantly is pushing the envelope in terms of what is possible with the, the, the visual fidelity. But my goodness, what my it was. It was crazy to me because the characters are intentionally stylized. They're not meant to be photorealistic, but the lighting is so realistic that there were moments where I kind of forgot I was watching a cartoon and instead was watching like real people. But obviously that wasn't the case. That's a strong testament to just how they lit and framed these scenes and the real real world. Yes. But when you were in the in-between, I thought that was dull. The great before. The great before. I agree. I, I think that, the, well, and again, 
I can see why they were intentional about that because on the one hand, the real world is full of life. It's full of all these experiences and memorable moments. Um, and so they were really wanting to push that versus in this in-between state, it's very abstract. It's very kind of one, two dimensional ish. It's, it's, it's also very interpretive, you know, like, like all the characters, if you notice, it kind of reminded me of like a Picasso painting or something where you had all the necessary parts there, but they weren't like anatomically correct and they could instantly morph into other things. And especially with like the lost souls and with a ship, you know, that was sailing on the sand. I mean, nothing made sense. It was like this ethereal plane, but it was designed in such a way where like, I think it's supposed to represent the plane of passion, like, like where focus and passion meet and how you have folks who find their sparks and they're very happy and they're able to, to have fulfillment and happiness in life and other folks who obsess over it and they become lost souls. I think that's kind of what they, they were creating with that. And honestly, I think the confusion part of it, of the whole, like great before in between state was when they were trying to like give us impression like, oh, these are all the new souls get created. Like you have all these little baby souls and stuff. And I think that really confused the thing. I think if they had approached it with it simply being kind of like this ethereal plane of passion where it's, it's, it's supposed to visually represent everyone's state of being when it comes to like, are they able to enjoy their passion and have uh, a good life balance versus folks who just become consumed by their passion and, and become uh, really unhealthy as a result. I think if they had simplified it down doing that, I think that would have really connected with, with folks like you and I just throwing that out there. You're probably right. The music I loved hearing the chords of the music as well as the, the very few jazz pieces that were in the film. I wish there were more. I wish, especially considering the fact that, that they were making an emphasis on jazz music, I wish we got to hear some other jazz pieces because the ones that were in there just sounded terrific. And I loved listening to Joe on the piano when you saw his hands and he was hitting those chords, man, you had some really like just juicy, delicious chords that were being played with those, those combination of major and minor keys. I was like, Oh yeah, that sounded good. Well, they animated his hands very well too, because if you ever watch somebody play the piano, looking at their hands, oh. <laughs> There are some people who have a very rough touch. Yes. Rough, and they pound those keys. <laughs> that's, that's heavy metal uh, piano. Uh, <laughs> I believe that was Mozart. <laughs> and then you have other people that have a very light touch. And you could tell, I mean, not only with the auditory, but when you're, when you're looking at his fingers touch the keys, he had like this very soft touch to the keys. Well, that was pretty good, right? I also appreciated how the character design made his fingers intentionally longer, which is actually accurate when it comes to quite a few professional pianists, folks who are able to really hit those hard octaves and whatnot. They tend to have pretty long fingers. That's something I struggle with because mm. I have, I have small hands smell like cabbage. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, and, and Coco, you hear a lot of like guitar music and they really focus on it and it's awesome. And or like Ratatouille, for example, 
Ratatouille had great music, by the way. It did. Um, but they really focused on the cooking and the steam and like the boiling of the water and the stew and like the crackling of bread crust and all this stuff. You're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and so when it came to jazz, I thought they were going to do that too. It reminded me, there was a time uh, when I used to work for good guys. They're out of business now, but uh, they went. I went to a they're training. The dead guys. They're the dead guys. They're the out of business guys. Um <laughs> So, and they said, they sent me off to this training that was in Oakland and there was a club there called Yoshi's. I was like, yeah, I'll go to a jazz club. Why not? It was so awesome. Yeah. Like the lighting really fit that lighting and the people that were on the stage were really into their music and like they would, they would talk in the mic, but I mean, they would talk softly. They wasn't like, hey, welcome to the Yoshi. You know, they were very... They're into the music. Yeah, they're like, okay, this next piece is. Uh, yeah. You've got a velvety sounding voice. Yeah. But it was so cool, like just to hear them play, and that's what it really reminded me of is is being in Yoshi's in Oakland. But um, some jazz can be like totally off the wall. Like, okay, you guys are playing three different songs all at once. Oh, you're like, sure. I don't even know. But there's some jazz that were that you can you're like the the. the composer or the artist is in the zone and it sounds just amazing. Duke Ellington, baby. That's right. Give me that Duke Ellington. That's right. A little bit of Benny Goodman. <laughs> How about we go into some movie trivia courtesy of IMDb? Let's do it. Pixar chose to portray the film's main character as a musician because they wanted a, quote, profession the audience could root for, end quote, and settled for a musician after trying for a scientist, which, quote, didn't feel so naturally pure as a, as a musician's life, end quote. Uh, Peter Doctor describes soul as an exploration of where should your focus be? What are the things that at the end of the day are really going to be important things that you look back on and go, I spent a worthy amount of limited time on earth worrying or focused on that? End quote. A Dorothea Williams, uh, or excuse me, I don't know if it's... Uh, I don't know. If, I do not know if it's pronounced Dorothy or Dorothea. Uh, maybe I'll. Maybe I should just say Dorothy. I think it's just Dorothy Ross. A Dorothy Williams record previously appeared in Onward during the scene where Colt Branco visits the Lightfoot house at the beginning of the film. A little bit of the old cross pollination there, Steve. That's right. Yeah. The production babies part of the credits, you know how you watch the end credits and they always have like production babies, all the babies born by all the uh, employees. Uh, let's see. The production babies part of the credits is retitled recent you seminar graduates <laughs> before the end logo rolls. Um, it says in addition to the usual created by Pixar text, quote, and in homes at least six feet away from each other in the Bay Area, end quote. Referencing the fact that animators worked at home due to the COVID-19 pandemic. So even they were uh, wrapping up all their, their things from home, which I think is pretty cool. In an initial draft of the story, 22 was the main character rather than Joe. 22 had a strong dislike for earth and the film took place entirely in the soul world. Joe was created in, um, to help show her why earth is worth living in. Very interesting there. 
Animators used footage of several music performers, including jazz composer John Battisti, performing as reference for the film's musical sequences. By capturing MIDI data from the sessions, animators were able to retrace the exact key being played on the piano with each note and create the performances authentic or excuse me, authentically, which I think is awesome. Sweet. In order to accurately portray African-American culture within the film, the filmmakers, Oh, here you go. Hired several consultants with whom they worked closely through the film's development. Among them were several Pixar employees, musicians, Herbie Hancock, uh, Terry Lynn, Carrington, Quincy Jones, and John Patiste, uh, educator, Johnetta Cole and stars Quest Love and David Diggs. Interessante. Pixar was mindful of the history of racist imagery in animation and set out to create characters who are recognizably black while avoiding the stereotypes in old cartoons. Acknowledging this effort, Peter Doctor uh, stated that, quote, there's a long and painful history of characterized racist designs um, or excuse me, uh, racist design tropes that were used to mock African-Americans, end quote. According to Kim Powers, the animators used lighting as a way to highlight the ethnic diversity in the living world. Pixar sought to capture the, the fine details of these black characters, including the textures of black hair and the way light plays on various tones of black skin. Cinematographer Bradford Young worked as a lighting consultant on the film. I'm actually familiar with Bradford Young's work. He has um, a huge catalog, a really big body of work as it applies to different types of celebrities and just like models, folks who are African-American and um, is like kind of one of the, the de facto standards. Like, Like people always go to him to find out how to be able to light people with darker skin tones in a way that is really just inviting and, and just has that visual fidelity. So uh, I, I follow his work. Joe Gardner is the first African-American main protagonist of a Pixar movie. When Joe is getting his hair cut by Dez, Dez has a picture of his daughter with the bunny doll from Toy Story 4 from 2019 that was voiced by Jordan Peele. <laughs> A couple of souls are playing with a chess board in the Hall of Everything. A likely shout out to Pixar's short film, Jerry's Game. Yeah. According to co-writer Kim Powers, the last line of the movie was originally written as, quote, I'm not sure I, but uh, no, excuse me. I'm not sure, but I know that I'm going to enjoy every minute of it. And that was the end quote, but it has changed to, quote, I'm not sure, but I know I'm going to live every minute of it, end quote, because an animator pointed out to him that life also has painful moments that we still have to live through. Powers found the final line more profound. Hmm. And I agree. I think that's great. When Curly introduces Joe to Dorothy Williams, he refers to Joe as the cat I told you about. While cat tends to be slang for jazz musicians, it foreshadows when Joe finds himself in the body of a cat later in the film. A little bit of the old foreshadow. This cat over here. Yeah, exactly. And finally, this is the first Pixar film to have the title card appear at the end of the film, not the beginning. Hmm. Hmm. 
So, Steve, give me your concluding thoughts on this film. Well, I I, I think it's obvious that this is not going to be my favorite Pixar movie. Um, I thought the message was a fantastic a- attempt of you know continuing to be original, original, just Pixar greatness. Uh, I thought the story was great. I thought the visuals bounced around when we were, like I said earlier, when we were on Earth, everything looks looks absolutely beautiful and wonderful. Or when we're half the movie into the soul plane, I'm I'm, I'm just really bored with with the way it looks. And they may have wanted it to be that way uh, for certain reasons, but it's to me as the viewer, it still has to look appealing to hold my attention. And if the plot kind of suffers a bit. Um, in that part where they're not really saying anything to, to, to further the story or to resonate, I just find myself kind of just waning, um, to say mm. the least. So I, I did like the characters. I love the talent, uh, in the, in the movie, uh, well, all the, for all the voices. Um, but I, and I think if I would watch it again, I probably would maybe take more out of it. I just don't know how motivated I am to go out and watch it again. That's and that and that's the thing. I don't see this movie as being um, watched a bunch. I, I could watch Toy Story one, two, and three a ton of times, and I have. Actually, no, that's a lie. I haven't seen Toy Story three in a long time. Toy Story one and two, though, I have. <laughs> Finding Nemo, watched it a ton of times. Ratatouille, watched it a ton of times. I just don't see me as picking this one up. And um, I mean. I would I would definitely recommend folks seeing it, but if they don't see it, I, I you know, I'm not going to be like, oh man, you're missing out. I don't know if they're really missing out. I think the message is cool, but I think that is about it. There's there's definitely some some nice takeaways from it, but I'm I'm really just kind of fifty fifty with it. I can kind of take it or leave it. Mm-hmm. Well, how many stars do you give, Steve? I would say, and I. And I if I watched it again, I'd probably be higher, but I would probably say it was about a two and a half. Oh, two and a half, he says. For me, it was interesting on multiple levels. I think that that a movie like this, it, it was interesting in the sense that it, it, I found it more for adults than kids. Mm-hmm. And I was watching it with my family and I noticed how my daughter, like she, she would watch it, but she wasn't nearly as into it as say like Frozen. And I think a lot of that has to do with the subject matter being something that, quite honestly, I think people who are middle-aged resonate with a whole lot more. And so I think that in, in typical Pixar fashion, the storytelling is phenomenal. I think I think it really does a great job of causing the viewer to have these moments of self-reflection as it applies to what's happening to the characters on screen. I think that there are um, a a multitude of different moments where it does pull at your heartstrings because you realize that, I mean, Joe's just this, this well-to-do kind of guy who I think a lot of people can identify with. And I think it, it, in terms of what he's wrestling with, it, it is a very real thing. It's, it's, it's something that it goes into to what people talk about and think about all the time, which is what is my purpose for being here? What is my calling? What are my gifts? If I do have a spark, what is it that I can do with it? In Joe's case, it was 
his spark was, was jazz music and playing on the piano, but he felt like it was this weird disconnect because he was a school teacher, which he, he didn't want to be a school teacher, even though he was very naturally gifted at it because he was so consumed with feeling as though he had wasted his life and got rejected by all these different uh, places and people where he tried to become a pro jazz musician. So there, there is a lot that I find to uh, be appreciating of. And at the same time though, I'm with you where there are moments where the, the film began to lose me a bit. Like, like when it came to the, the great before or whatever the, the in-between state is, I just, I feel like the R and D portion of the film needed just a little bit more time to, to polish and iterate on the ideas. Cause I feel like the core ideas of the movie are really good. This didn't go deep enough. Yeah. Or, or maybe they went deep enough, but in terms of how they positioned and, and set up the, the different parts of the story, it just needed a little bit more refinement, I feel like. But having said that, though, the film has a lot of heart to it. The The lighting, like I was saying, was is just beautiful. It's some of the best lighting I've seen in a Pixar movie. It's not a Pixar movie that I would watch all the time just because, I mean, they're like, to give you an idea, the, you know, there, there's a particularly tense moment where 22 turns into a lost soul and Joe is desperately trying to, to save 22. Uh, my daughter got really scared. We actually had to fast forward through a bit of that because it got too intense. And so, it, you know, even from that vantage point, it's not like Ratatouille, for example, that she, I mean, she watches that and she's fine. So there, there are little things like that. I found myself like, I mean, I've mentioned this before, but I found myself, um, not as engaged in the great before slash great beyond because of its abstract nature. I understand why they did it. Um, but I, you know, if I think about it and if I'm being honest with myself, I think I, I, it, it, I couldn't align to it because of my own personal beliefs when it comes to, to being in that state. And so I think as a, as a result, and I know for a fact that Pixar was tiptoeing around that. Like they were trying to figure out how do we tell this story? If we're going to go this direction, how are we going to do it in a way that doesn't alienate people who have very strong opinions or views when it comes to this sort of thing. And I didn't go into the movie thinking that like I, I didn't go in with the movie and crossing my arms and be like, okay, yeah, well, let's see what they did. It was nothing like that at all. But when I was in the moment when we were there, I was trying to identify why is it that I'm that these scenes just aren't connecting for me. And I think that probably has a bit to do with it. Not a huge deal. It's just one of the things that I picked up on. Overall, I think it is a nice addition to the overall Pixar catalog. I commend Pixar for yet, you know, yet again, having another really original story that they have told in only the way that Pixar can. I don't think it's one of the strongest Pixar films. And as a result, I would say I would probably give it three stars. That's where I'm at with it. Okay. And there you have it. Thank you, Ross. 
Oh, you are most certainly welcome, Steve. That wraps up this episode of Joygasm. Make sure you tune in next week. Thanks for hanging out with us. If you enjoyed this episode, we invite you to check out patreon.com slash joygasm, which is spelled J-O-Y-G-A-S-M, and consider becoming a monthly contributor. You'll get exclusive perks and early access to the show, not to mention it really helps us continue doing what we love to do. Also, you can follow us on social media and YouTube. Just do a search for Joygasm TV. Last but not least, search Joygasm TV on Twitch to see us stream our gaming adventures live every Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Central Time. We will see you all next week. 